1: Give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash-switch. Forty five dollars upfront for three months, plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: Hi, I'm Andy Murray, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast.
2: Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast brought to you in association with The Telegraph and Eurosport and we are watching Catherine Whittaker, Roger Federer just coming out of the Eurosport studio waving to thousands and thousands of people down below the balcony on which he is standing with Mats Verlander at the moment and he has just been telling everybody how he won his 18th Grand Slam singles title aged 35 after a four and a half year wait for another one of those and he did it by beat, winning his third five-set match in two weeks and by beating his nemesis, Rafael Nadal, in the final. His greatest triumph.
3: His greatest triumph by quite some distance, I would say. You didn't even mention the six months on the sideline and this being only his, well, first competitive tournament back. I mean, the the tournament the cup doesn't count as a tour event. I mean, you could not script it any better if you'd written this script and presented it to anybody in the tennis world they'd have gone yeah in your dreams tennis it's unreal it's absolutely unreal it's a it is a it will be a film one day I'm sure Roger Federer the movie Shia LaBeouf somewhere is busy making John McEnroe and Bjorn Borg the movie I hope there's better casting for Roger Federer the movie
2: who would play Roger Federer that's a very good question who would play Roger Federer in Roger Federer the movie Who are we going for?
3: Give me some time to think about that one.
2: Okay, at Tennis Podcast, who would play Roger Federer in Roger Federer, the movie? We'll hand it over to you. The the thing that stuck out for me was I was commentating on it on BBC Radio 5 Live, and and I felt as though the four first sets, whilst fascinating, were not amazing, personally. I, I thought both players had spells of good play, but they were at different times. And not once in those first four sets were both players playing well at the same time. That all changed in the fifth set. And they both started to play. It became one of the great sets that I've ever seen. And yet, uh, uh, as a, uh, and I think as a result of that, one, one tends to think of the match... In those terms, and I would say that that's not the case. But the fifth set was so good, so amazing, so dramatic, with with such an extraordinary storyline of, of the way he turned it around. You know, I mean, wasn't he? He was a breakdown, wasn't he, was in the fifth down. set? Um, I did not see that coming at all. I mean, you, you you would have heard me last night give my reasons for why I felt Nadal would win this this match, this title, from. From him levelling at two sets all, I could not see him losing. Really, I couldn't. Um, And it was only maybe a bit of a wobble from him, but 95% of it to me was Federer (laughs) producing that level of tennis that I I described last night as the best tennis that there is, and he did it in the most important moments.
3: Yeah, for for three of the five sets tonight, he produced the best tennis that there is, I think. For the other two sets, it was not particularly... It was very, very airstream tennis. You're exactly right. For for four sets, they were uh, opposing ends of the spectrum at various times, weren't they? And it was drama-filled uh, and entertaining and fascinating, but it wasn't high-quality tennis. It wasn't anywhere near Nadal Dimitrov, say. The fifth set was. It had all the drama had more drama than anybody really could bear uh, and it had the high level of play as well and yes I suppose there was there was a double fault I think from Rafa, there was the odd slightly short shot but I don't, I don't think that's why he lost it I really don't I, I didn't give Federer a chance really of turning it around, I did see a chance for him at the end of the fourth, I wasn't writing him off in a fifth set he looked fresh enough to me, um, and he went off for that injury timeout on the leg, which had parallels with the Stanford Rinker match. Worked for him there, didn't it? Bit dodgy. No, I don't think so. I don't think Federer would do something dodgy. Probably full stop, but certainly not against Nadal. I, I think. I think we have to give him the benefit of the doubt on that. I think we have to. Don't you think?
2: Yes, I think knowing. Knowing him, I think so. Um Pat Cash was very, very strongly against not and he wasn't singling out Federer, he he was just saying this has got to stop. People have got to stop being allowed to take medical timeouts and interrupting the flow of matches.
3: Full stop. No medical timeout.
2: Unless somebody, you know, turns an ankle horribly or something like that, he just he just feels this stuff has got to stop. That the the old players, um, he in his words, were, were were sick of seeing it uh, and the flow of matches being interrupted. I I personally did kind of feel that in the semi-finals there was a little bit of Federer thinking, after having watched Vavrinka take an, a medical timeout at two sets to love. And all the momentum changing, and the sort of the the air going out of the the match. I think there might have been a bit of Federer that thought, well, you know, I am a bit injured. I'm not going to worry about about it this time. Even though I don't believe in it generally, you know, if I can't beat them, join them. You know, I think there was maybe a bit of a bit of that in there. Um, on this occasion, who knows? But you know, it's it is in the rules. The bottom line is, it's in the rules that you can do it. He did it. Um, and uh, And actually, he went to breakdown straight away, so i don 't feel as though you can say that it was something that hurt nadal i didn 't um, but for Nadal to go a, a break up in that set i mean i 'd like to watch it back you know uh, inevitably uh, working on the radio the way we do, you kind of half watch it you know i wasn't I was half watching half listening, half doing other things. Um, I didn't really get a complete feel for for what ended up deciding that fifth set. My sense is that it was just Federer producing his best. That that's what what it felt like from from what I saw.
3: He went for it, didn't he? There was absolutely no holding back. And when it in the patches when it started to go wrong, it it didn't look great because it was aerostream because he was going so much. You know, barely sliced the backhand at all tonight. He only did it when he was forced to when he was pulled really out wide and he had no it was the only shot that he could hit on the backhand side it was clearly a tactic to to take time away from Rafa to rush him on the backhand and it it meant he was making a lot of errors on the backhand but then in the patches where it was working for him it was glorious and it was something that Dimitrov was doing very well two nights ago taking that backhand early surprising nadal win it with it he didn't let himself get pushed back on the backhand so he wasn't facing too many you know top spun nadal shots that were rearing up that's what he struggles with the high backhands he wasn't letting that happen so if you're going for broken it's not working out it's not pretty but he made it work for three sets and three sets is what you need
2: two things that really struck me one that roger federer said before the match when he was talking about having watched the dimitrov match he said i kind of half watched it as a fan and i kind of half watched it as a sort of research technique and that's what i could imagine him having done i could imagine him having seen dimitrov obviously similar style hence the, the the nickname baby fed all those years and having thought well he seems to be doing pretty well against Nadal here, and he nearly beat him. I've got to try to... I maybe need to be a bit of a baby Dimitrov here and actually copy a bit of him. Because, you know, as you say, he wasn't doing necessarily the things against the, 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 the hooked forehand that perhaps he's 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 got lulled into but doing in previous barely years. Barely
3: served and volleyed. Barely. He did it... Once on a second serve in the in that fifth set, that one stuck out to me, and it, it didn't pan out well for him at all. Rafa ripped a backhand return uh, cross court and and caught him out. Barely a serve and volley. That really surprised me. I thought speed of the courts. You know, I was in in all of my pre-match um, interviews with good and the great. Some of them heard on the podcast. I was asking all of them about how much serve and volley they're expecting to see because it's been a feature of this tournament. The conditions it you'd think that match up would have been ripe for it. But so lots of bold decisions tactically from Federer, I would say, and they paid off. But uh, yeah, Ivan Ljubicic, I'd, I'd say, deserves some credit here.
2: Well, it's, it's interesting you mention him because the second thing I was going to mention was we've, we've just watched the, the Eurosport interview that Barbara Shett and uh, Mats Falander have just done live in the studio with uh, with Roger Federer and he was, he was saying about the strategy that he went into, he said having spoken to Ivan and Severin Luthi before the match, he said they just kept trying to drum into me just to keep going at him. Even if... This or that was happening, all those things that would have been happening in the 23 losses he's had against Nadal in the past, and you can imagine that from Lubicic couldn't you? Somebody who's been there, you know, okay, not at the level of these two, but he's been at the very top of the game or the top five of the game. He's been in match situations, and this the psychology of of not getting downbeat if things aren't working. I mean, I think in a sort of serve and volley way, that's what Misha Zverev threw at Andy Murray. Doesn't matter if you got passed and lobbed 45% of the time, 55% of the time it worked and Federer just kept on coming and believing in himself and not worrying and not getting flustered um, and, it, and it paid off ultimately. I mean the, other, the only other thing I wonder is do you think, do you think Nadal, I, I haven't heard his press conference do you think Nadal will feel in a way that that he blew it a bit? Is that I, too I hard? Think,
3: I think if you're a A set-up, if you're two sets all the break-up in the fifth against a 35-year-old whom you've beaten uh, in... uh, not lost to in a Grand Slam match outside of a a grass court, yes, I think you have to feel that way. I can't pinpoint any moment when he blew it or any particular game. Obviously, the one where he got broken would be the obvious one, but as I said, I don't think he did loads wrong. Um, So... Yes, in the wider sense, but I don't think he will be having nightmares about one particular moment where he threw it away.
2: And I think the other thing is that there's two things for me. One is that I think physically he must have been suffering today after that Dimitrov match. I know you know, I'm as guilty as anybody of of just brushing off these five set epics because it's Nadal and Nadal can run through brick walls is, is what I've always sort of tended to believe. But he is thirty. He did have a day left less to rest, he did have one of the most grueling matches of his career, and I sensed that for the first three and a half sets. I mean, he if you notice, he wasn't that demonstrative today. He wasn't getting worked up and excited and giving the vams I think he was just knackered. To be honest yeah. and he was just trying to get through it and not expend too much emotional energy is my guess
3: i really noticed that as well actually when we did the podcast last night and you described expecting to see him like a a, a chained up bull and yes he's, he did do that as you expect you know I mean, he comes up from a change of ends. He does that little sprint to the back of the court doesn't he and in some respects he was but in terms of that bullish demonstrative body language that you're so used to seeing you know he, he uh, my producer Lucy always says that he, for high and slow on the telly, he's the best. he's The slow of his reactions, he's the best in the game for that because you just capture something in his eyes and in his taut facial muscle, muscles that just only he has and there was less of that for sure tonight and I can only think that mu- that must have been, it was like he was on energy-saving mode, you know, all other, all unnecessary apps get closed down and one of the apps was... Emoting app, I guess. To, well, to some extent.
2: Emoting app, yeah. <laughs> no, I like it. Yeah. Um... Uh, They're just replaying the match point here on the the screen that we we are watching while we're sitting in the Eurosport green room. We've just watched that extraordinary moment, Catherine. I didn't even realise that it was a Hawkeye overall because I was outside the commentary box door on Five Live at the time. They'd closed the door because too many people were trying to peek through our commentary box window, and I got locked out. Uh, But anyway, I heard, and now we're seeing the, the celebrations, mass celebrations. I mean, Roger Federer absolutely overcome really with emotion and uh, yeah it's been a long wait for him hasn't it but but I think it's ended up coming quite quickly hell of heck of a lot quicker than he would have expected certainly this year
3: yeah and he's earned it and done it the hard way hasn't he Burdick in the third round Simon's not here so I can remind everyone that Simon thought he was going out in the third round uh, to Burdick Nishikori in the fourth round, Murray's conqueror Zverev in the quarters. You, I suppose you'd describe that as a, a, um, a lucky break. Vavrinka in the semis and Nadal in the finals. You know that's that is what you call a tough route <laughs> and a tough route when you're having to shake off some rust in the early rounds, which he unquestionably was. There were stages. In those first couple of rounds, you know the match against Noah Rubin, there was lots of rust, lots of rust. In particularly, remember that one. So, yeah, there's no, there's no question mark of you know, sort of. These aren't my words. These are words I've heard said, you know, in order to win the French Open, he didn't have to beat Nadal. You know, he had to wait for somebody else to knock out Nadal in order to get that French Open. There is no sort of... Hold
2: well on, you could say he didn't have to face Murray or Djokovic. He look, could have faced Murray in the quarter. You quarters.
3: Could say that about any winner of any Grand Slam ever. Nobody, no, but you said you couldn't say it. You everybody. can say it. I suppose so, but I would find that ridiculous. More ridiculous than... than what I just described some people as saying about his French Open win in 09 so yeah, for me this for me this is I, do, I don't know every sporting achievement that's ever been, that ever happened I can't, the ones I do know I can't recall them all at this one moment so I, I could be wrong but to my recollection this is the most incredible sporting story that I can think of at this moment. It's a,
2: it's a very good point you make. I mean, a very good talking point. It's something Russell Fuller in our BBC Radio Five Live commentary raised in the first of the match. He said to Pat Cash that he'd been thinking this over pre-match, and he felt that if um, if Federer won this match and won this title, 18th, age 35, given six months out. All the rest of it—that he felt it would be the greatest uh, tennis achievement that there has been. He, c- I, he can't think of another one. Pat wasn't having it. For a start, Pat doesn't like comparing generations and eras, and I, th- and I think that I can understand that. I think we are victims of the moment. We do talk about things that are the most recent as being the best. Uh, I think that that does happen. I still feel that. For Roger Federer, I think it's his greatest achievement. I do, eighteenth uh, uh, at the age he is with the, the absence. Personally, I would think of you know Rod Laver won two calendar slams, one of them certainly in the Open era. Um, Novak Djokovic last year won four in a row. I think that that is mind-bogglingly amazing, but this is as good as anything for me. Certainly, it's as good as anything. I don't, I don't, I can't rank them personally. Uh, certainly not immediately after the match like that. Um, but it was, yeah, it was a truly staggering achievement, and one that is summed up, from, at least for me, by the fact that I just did not see that coming. Not, not throughout the tournament, and not even in the final.
3: Well, what I would distinguish from—I'm not arguing against you. I would agree. I'm not saying this is the greatest sporting achievement of all time. Well, tennis achievement of all time. I'd agree with you. Four in a row. You know, because Djokovic made that look so easy. We sort of not forget about it, but it didn't seem like the Herculean effort that we were taking like
2: him a bit was. for granted at the time well, exactly. because of he was doing now, it so amazing. We
3: don't now because he's not where he was. But absolutely, you're quite right about that. I'm talking about as a story, as a fairy tale. You know, as journalist, the story. I can't think of anything better in our sport. And you're absolutely right, victims of the moment. That could be the case with me. But just at this moment, I can't think of...
2: It does have everything. I mean, it has you know, everything. There's a lot of parallels between this and when Sampras beat Agassi to win his final Grand Slam. And that was the last match he ever played. I don't think this will be the last uh, match that Roger Federer ever plays. Well, well, he but did say, if,
3: immediately, if, immediately if, afterwards,
2: he said, uh-huh. he said, you know... If I don't come back...
3: He said, I'd like to come back next year, but if I don't... And he doesn't usually say things like that. He's usually pretty unequivocal about, I will see you next year.
2: Maybe the six months has made him a little bit more sort of cautious on, on that. I, I haven't heard his press conference. He hasn't done it yet. So we, we can't ask him. I don't, um, I'm
3: not... By saying that, I'm not saying... I think he's you know, going to announce his retirement tomorrow. I don't think he's going to do a Pete Sampras. I can't believe we're not going to see him at another Wimbledon. I just think maybe now he will start thinking about how he wants to retire, which I don't think he's thought about now, before now. I think he's been completely focused on, I've got unfinished business, I love tennis, I want to be back, I'll think about retirement when I'm ready. I think now he might turn his attention at least to how he might like to do it.
2: I'll tell you one thing I did notice. I was waiting outside the locker room straight after the match to see if we could pick up reaction. We're going to hear from René Stauffer, one of the Swiss journalists, Swiss journalists that's been following Roger Federer since he was a teenager. Um, but I, I saw the moment that Roger came through to his locker room and and his wife, Mirka, was there. And, you know, it was the first time they had chance to just sort of celebrate that moment. I mean, it's, it's very public... A area that, and and obviously we, we were there, and you could just sort of sense, in the way that they kind of greeted one another, that obviously it's a huge achievement, but that this had been weighing on them for a long time. That this sort, it, it seemed to me that this was more than just winning a grand slam title. This has been a long time coming. You wonder whether, I imagine, if you're them, it will ever happen. Even as confident as he is, and all the rest of it, but that's how big, a, big a, a mountain he has scaled here.
3: Well, the other thing is to... Uh, I don't want to talk, uh, presume too much about uh, Roger Federer's domestic arrangements because I know nothing other than how many nannies they travel with. How many? Uh, I've heard five. It's quite a lot. One per child plus an auxiliary nanny. For, for a Does Roger have
2: his own nanny? I
3: don't know. Um, but... Uh, what I've heard other players with children talk about, and most recently I heard the Brian brothers talking about it, was when your children are young, it's fine. They come on tour with you, it's great. you ha- It's a weird life, but you have a family life on tour. But once they start school, and again, I'm doing this thing of forgetting which of the Brian brothers it is that's got the three kids. One of them has three kids, <laughs> I can't remember which one it is. Um, and uh, he's always said, I-, I would have to think very hard about continuing to play tennis once my eldest starts school because then they have to be anchored at home for the majority of the year. And that puts a completely different complexion o- on things. I believe that Roger Federer's daughters are five. Is that right? So approaching school age. She's a bit older, actually. Are they? Well, I know they're here, so they can't be at school at the moment but you know I, I understand that often for uh players traveling on tour with their family that is that is a factor for them so who knows who knows
2: indeed if it well, is a
3: factor and his, his uh, eldest R five he's timed this brilliantly
2: I, I think there are about six or seven actually i don't oh. think
3: there's seven
2: well in in or 2009 30, it was when he found out that <laughs> they were having twins so what it's 2010. They were yeah,
3: born you're... sort of Wimbledon time, t- 2010. Okay, so so six, six and, and a half. half. They must be in school then. What are they doing here?
2: Well, you know, he kind of makes his own rules, doesn't he? He's allowed. I mean, come on, maybe he could probably of, bring a school with him.
3: Maybe one of the nannies is sort of a trained primary school teacher or something. Maybe all of them are. Oh, who knows?
2: Absolutely. We're well, lovely speculating here with Catherine Whitaker here on the Tennis Podcast. Uh, Mats Verlander's just walked in and... Uh, I think people are going to open, uh, open bottles of things soon, Catherine,
3: to There's celebrate it. Kissing. I did see spontaneous embracing in Garden Square. And I think I, we would have seen that even if Nadal had won, just because of the joy of the moment, the story, the fifth set, the drama. There, was, there were people spontaneously embracing in, God, in Garden Square upon the victory moment. It was something really, really quite special.
2: Yeah, no, it was a a great moment. Um, I mentioned René Stauffer, and Zeiger he writes for, and I first met him on the day of Roger Federer's debut in 1998, the day after he'd won the Wimbledon Boys. He's been following him since he was a teenager. So I was very curious to find out what he made of it all and whether he considered this to be Roger Federer's greatest victory.
0: I think uh, we have to stay a little bit on the earth. I'd say the Wimbledon title 2003 would be the most important for him. Otherwise, his whole career maybe wouldn't have happened the way it happened. But I'd say it's the most important since then. It's the most beautiful since then. And maybe if you look at the victory against Rafa today, I think it might be his best victory since he beat Sampras in, uh, in uh, 2001 in Wimbledon.
2: Well, what's the reaction going to be like back in Switzerland right now
0: no, they're, they're going crazy already now in uh, Sunday's paper uh, and uh, on the online you can see that it's just number one to five the stories are uh, federal stories that are the most uh, the most clicked in and so it's absolutely fantastic uh, the how they enjoy seeing Roger again how they appreciate him much more than than they did uh, in the last few years since he's coming back after six months that's the good thing about it he's got the trophy
2: <laughs> and now he's got the trophy and he's just walked past us with it fantastic thank you
1: a lot can happen in three years like a chat bot may be your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states learn more at uh1.com millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom
2: Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So there's René Stauffer, and uh, I I found it fascinating that he regards this as the biggest achievement, the, the most important Grand Slam won by Roger Federer since the first one. You know, which I I can see where he's coming from there. He knew what a... I mean, this was kind of a monkey off the back in a way for him to to get this one under the belt. But back in 2003, when everybody was sort of... Hyping him up so much, myself included. And he uh,
3: lost first round in the French. And he few kept weeks losing before. first round. He lost, he'd the, lost the first, first round, round, round the year win.
2: before in Wimbledon against Mario Ancic. and um, and right. he also he also mentioned in terms of match victory, this was his best match victory since O one Sampras.
3: Wow, I mean, I I I can't disagree with any of that. I really, yeah, I yeah, he's absolutely right. It is. Um, what more can I say? It's utterly extraordinary. It's extraordinary for Nadal as well.
2: What do you think will happen now from here on? I mean, do you, do you think that either one of these players will benefit enormously and, and end up having a better year from here than they would have done otherwise, or, or maybe a worse year? I mean, a dip in form? Or I mean, you know, the one thing I, I do wonder is um, when Roger Federer goes to... Um, Indian Wells and those sort of places I mean my guess is the, the sheer love he has for the sport will be enough to carry him through and he's still mentally fresh but you know it doesn't get any better than this does it?
3: No but he's dealt with that before he's dealt with winning having the most magical experiences and then having to go back to the grind of the tour and I don't think it is the grind of the tour for him anymore he's just had six months out he I think he will treasure being back at tennis tournaments again um I I think for for Nadal it will propel him to a very very good season I, I think he has to be feeling positive with hang on a second
2: oh it's Mats Verlander who's just uh, saying goodbye to Catherine Whitaker here on the tennis podcast Mats uh, have you enjoyed the tournament
1: I think to me it's it's Maybe the most special Grand Slam tournament I've covered for Eurosport because of all the upsets in the first week. Having Nadal, Federer in the final, the Williams sisters, and then having Federer finally beat Nadal in a five-set final.
2: We did not see that coming, coming. Even in the fifth set, I thought Nadal is going to win this. What did you think?
1: Um, I really thought after the fourth set or middle of fourth set, I thought that this is, this is Nadal's. There's no way Roger was going to come out and play the same Aggressive um, style of tennis in the fifth set and he did and it didn't work in the beginning and then it worked and he kept doing it so um, in the past he's been too passive and he had been stubborn about it and today he was so aggressive and he was even more stubborn about it so it's great to see
2: great to see indeed great Grand Slam Thanks, lovely guys. to see you as always Mats Villander. Oh. the all time great world number one seven time Grand Slam champion Mats Verlander. that was anyway Catherine's now Kissing everybody in the entire room because they're all leaving, uh, and Eurosport is going to call it a day for another Australian Open. Roger Federer, incidentally, he's now in what they call the blue room of the Australian Open, the sort of the sort of social media room with Nick McCarville. And I mean, you know, this this lap of honour has gone on almost as long as the the match. He's been in about four studios. <laughs> he's been going to, from parade to parade. He hasn't even done his press conference yet.
3: He hasn't he hasn't, had, he hasn't had a shower yet.
2: Yeah, well, you know, he doesn't sweat. Does he doesn't he?
3: sweat. That's a good point. Yeah, doesn't sweat. That. Yeah.
2: Anyway, uh,
3: presenters everywhere are thankful for that at this moment.
2: It's um, it's been a good uh, good couple of weeks, hasn't it? It's
3: been all right. Yeah, it's been all right. It's
2: been right up there, actually. I mean, Mats philander right there. I think he's he's bang on. This has been as good a Grand Slam tournament as I can remember in terms of just day after day stories. The Williams sisters, of course, um, and, and now we've had the most. Staggering story in the final. Really, uh, I, I think if you'd have lined up any possible storyline, that's probably the one that would have been the most uh, eye-catching.
3: And it all started with a conversation with David Law.
2: Did it? Oh yeah, he did. Uh, may, am I part of it? Am I part of the read? You know, it was, was was it? He was. We were watching Angelique Kerber together, Roger Federer and I, uh, in in the uh, in in the little area outside the gym and. Uh, yeah, I think I think it's fair to say, not that I did. If I'd have thrown into the conversation, how do you think? How do you think think your chances are of winning the title? I think he'd have probably said, "Go away, will you?"
3: <laughs> <laughs> if an opportunity missed, I think that will go down as David.
2: Ah, indeed. Oh well, not to worry, uh, Catherine. Um, it has been lovely talking to you every night on the Tennis Podcast.
3: It's been. It, it's been magical it has been an utterly magical two weeks and the tennis podcast has been a huge part of that
2: Excellent, well I hope you've all enjoyed it as well, we are uh, delighted to have been able to bring you these shows in association with The Telegraph, go and read Simon Briggs's articles, Oliver Brown's as well, imagine trying to sum all of this up in written form in, in a sort of um, considered way, well that's what they uh, need to do, that is what they are going to do do read all of their stories. Do watch the highlight show. See if you can get a glimpse of Catherine talking to the great and the good the way she always does. Um, and, uh, and yeah, well, listen to this podcast whenever we record it, i.e. every single week of the year. That's what we are. We're a weekly tennis show. We'll be back at the other Grand Slams as well because of our Kickstarter backers who've made this Grand Slam daily tennis podcast possible we thank you very much for for supporting us and for enjoying the show and uh, we will speak to you very soon
1: it.